What we got? This Three Beards Media podcast may contain mature themes. And if you're not down with that, we got three words for you. Like the podcast. Nailed it. everybody this is fall starts with bill blank and chris shipley i'm your host chris bill how are you doing tonight swell how are you sir not too bad not too bad it's a good thing that we're recording tonight yesterday uh well yesterday might have been a an epic an epic uh uh episode i i i was what i like to call bs chris before stacy i was hot and angry and was ready to burn the whole fucking world down so oh yeah about <laughs> yeah. about uh, family <laughs> really yeah uh they made you I that just, man yeah my it, there, there's some fi- family dynamics going on and one faction won't talk to the other faction and i'm in the middle having to relate shit and then people are bitching and whining and i finally told all of them to be a fucking adult and shut the oh my god and, dude i have i, I have a I literally i'm not kidding you i I had to be talked off the ledge because I was gonna burn everybody to the fucking ground yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so. And I had just you. gotten out of therapy. I had just had a forty-five minute conversation yeah, with my you know therapist what? about Your the whole thing, and I left and I felt better. And within five minutes, I had a text message and I lost my fucking mind again. But I bet you your therapist would have probably applauded you if you just fucking cussed everybody out. Yeah, he, I mean, he was like, sometimes you, you got to set the boundary, you know, you got to set the yeah. boundary, yeah. but you know, it, the other part of it was, is, is, uh, uh the day before Stacy, uh, I, I, I was, I about went scorched earth on, <laughs> on Sunday and I waited until Stacy got home and I explained her the situation and she was like, listen, you just need to treat this like an administrator at school, like my administrator would at school when you're sending a note back to a parent. You don't put any kind of emotion into it. Drop the facts into the group chat and then let it go and let mm-hmm. it and, and let, you know, whoever, let go of the results. Right. And, yeah. and 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 I did and I felt better. But unfortunately, Stacy wasn't around yesterday afternoon. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I have I have a similar situation in two different ways. Um my two best friends are brothers, uh, and they're neither one of them talks to their mom, and neither one of them talks to each other. Yeah, and I'm the only one that talks to all three of them. Yeah, and so I get fucked because if I want to do anything, it, or like if I if there's anything happening where I want all three of them to be there or, um, you know, anything like that. Right. I can't, I can't have all three ever. Right. You know, so that's unfair to me. Right. And then there's the fact that, uh, I've also got two friends, two of my other friends that are like, we've all been, best friends for 30 plus years right two of them are aren't talking to each other and like have basically broken up (laughs) right 
And so now I can't have the two of them at the same time. Right. It's like selfishly, it's ruined a whole bunch of my. I mean, shit. I'm okay that I don't have to be around all of them all at once. It, the, the 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 dichotomy of it is is that my mother is being taken care of by all of us in some form or fashion, and one has a question about something that somebody else, that one of the other ones knows, but she won't talk to the other one. So then she asks me, and then I got to get the answer, and I may not have the right answer right away. And I'm like, listen, if you just were a fucking adult and you could text the person real quick and ask them, right. then we wouldn't have this fucking clusterfuck. So I'm done doing that. I'm I'm fucking done relaying <laughs> messages. You're Text all, messaging you, can also do that. You're too. all eight and twelve years older than I am. You should be much more mature, right? You know, so I don't know what to tell you. But, no, I mean, text messaging can ruin communication in a way. You know, it yeah, it can really ruin tone, and people can, um, you know, pick things up. Uh, Nobody had and any just, trouble. Just make things up. You know what I mean? Nobody had any trouble getting my tone yesterday. I made it quite fucking clear. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Right on. Nobody um, tuned in to hear about me. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you had a good weekend, though. The clones uh, pulled off a miracle uh, and won a game. And uh, Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I, listen, I know, I I know you don't know anything about Jack Trice, right. and you and you call it the uh, the picket fence. Oh yeah, uh, that's not to make fun of Jack Trice. No, that's I not, know that. I know that's, that. But that's just because I. It makes me laugh when people take things that everybody had, right, and make and apply it to something like every single person in that era wore that same exact jersey. They all looked like that. Right. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so um, they but, put that thing on like. That's Jack trying like no. Did he have a number or something? Can't you do something? Yeah, funny? yeah. He was thirty-seven. But, but at the same time, the whole... at the same time, in a way, I think Iowa. I'm correct. I may be wrong about this, but I feel like there's been times at least where Iowa has made the leather helmet about Niall Kinnick or something. Yeah, right. I feel yeah. like maybe I've, right. I feel like I've seen that. Yeah, so. as a as a logo or whatever. Yeah. But the, the whole anyway. for me. Just it was the hundred year anniversary for Jack Trice's uh, uh, death, and the university and and the and the city and Iowa State Athletics did a wonderful job of recognizing all that. And honestly, it was probably the best game day experience that I've had in Ames since I've been going. It was that's it was awesome. That good. good. It was that good. So that's awesome. Good for yeah. you. And and we stuck it to TCU, who I fucking hate anyway. So yeah. I I mean, I kind of hate everybody. I don't really, anybody we play, I don't really have any. Well, I was kind of like, there's certain people I like. Like, I actually like Tom Izzo. And I actually like, like, I always kind of liked Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah. Like, there's some people I just kind of like or whatever. But, yeah, outside of that. And then then I get to hear shit, you know. My favorite thing is all the Iowa State fans making fun of Iowa's offense last week when you guys scored 27. It's like, oh, what a fucking juggernaut. You scored seven <laughs> more points with fucking 20. We don't miss two field goals. We have 26. Like, shut the fuck up. But anyway. That's, that's uh, a whole nother pod. Yeah. So. The, we'll, we'll, uh, let's uh, get going here. Um, our guest tonight is a really good friend of mine, a, a comic who's uh, – well, we, we – 
he he's a lot more versatile than than just a comic and he's kind of going in another direction for the most part these days um but we became friends as comics and uh we've uh we've done actually several podcasts together at different <laughs> times um and we've hung out a lot and i have a lot of love and admiration for for our guest michael malone welcome michael hey. how are you how are you guys wonderful <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, Michael, thank you so much for hopping on. It, it it'll be a pleasure to to get to know you. And I did listen to a little bit of that that one of the podcasts that you guys did a couple years ago. Oh, nice. Uh, so it was it was really nice. So yeah, thank thanks you. for hopping on. Yeah, Bill did was like one of the first people I had on the punched up the series, and it was it turned out great. And and yeah, I, I loved his episode. That was so well done. You you were so it was so NPR ish <laughs> like the the way that the storytelling like and that actually i don't know if you ever saw i did a storytellers project thing that was kind of like the moth but it was local okay um, and i've shared it several times over the years but uh that podcast was kind of a help helped with with that a little bit because it was such a step away from stand-up like it was funny we had laughs right but there was a lesson there and it was a story and it also helped give me the idea for this podcast because that episode was, you know, about kind of anxiety and how that's played a part in my life ever since I was a kid. Yeah. I think a lot of times those storytellings get a uh, kind of a, a, a negative tone to them, but you can be funny. It just, it's, it's funny. And then more, you know, like yeah. oftentimes the moth has really hilarious stories on there. Um, but you wouldn't think about that because you, you just think about the sad stories you hear or the, you know, the, the heart wrenching ones. But mm -hmm. um, that's what I loved about Punched Up as well. Doing that series was because it took stand ups out of their element a little bit. And it, you still got to be funny. You, you know, all these stories were unique in their own way, but they it was just that it was focusing on one story and then bringing it to life with music and sound effects and narration and all that stuff. But it was a, it was a really fun series and I'm trying to, I've, I've always wanted to do more of those. And so I'm, I'm still trying to do that. It's just, it's a lot for just me. to, to Well, work it on. took, it, it probably took, I don't know, four hours of production after the fact, at least. Oh yeah. If You're not talking more. You're talking a couple of weeks of production and then you have to formulate the narration and all those things. And then, you know, it's just me picking out all the music and and sometimes making some of the music. And again, like writing the, the narratives and, and putting everything together and editing and all that stuff. It was a lot to take on. I loved it. Yeah, but it's a lot for one person. <laughs> so how did you. Uh, I remember I the, like the episode I did, I remember all the music. I distinctly remember the music. Like we're getting into like me talking at the, the story. Just, -do -do, <laughs> do -do. And then like, and then I start talking a little more about anxiety or like death or whatever. And then it's, you know. So did you, when you were editing, were you like, okay, did you just type in like happy story music <laughs> to a search engine? 
Yeah, you really do. You, you There's a few libraries out there that have kind of like the background music uh -huh. um, available. And so you it's hours of searching through libraries of stuff. Um, one of my favorite ones was Kelsey Cook did one and it was all about meeting John Mayer and she had a big crush on John Mayer. And so she's in the same hotel as John because she's at this like comedy festival and John Mayer just happens to be there. Um, and she's with Jim Norton because she was opening for him at the time. And they meet John Mayer the night before. And then she stays up all night thinking to herself, how can I bump into him? You know, like naturally. <laughs> and, and so the story follows along. And then eventually it goes to the next morning and she's like, I have to see him again. And um, she's telling Jim about this and Jim's kind of teasing her and this and that. And then they um, they go upstairs real quick or something. And when they come back down, Jim's like, all right, I'm going to see if I can pull some strings and get you to meet John. And then they go to ask the hotel clerk and this and that and some friends they bump into. And um, they find out that when they went upstairs, John came downstairs and left. <laughs> and they had waited for so long to be there. And she was like in the little breakfast area. She was hanging out in just in that instance where they went upstairs. He came downstairs and she was heartbroken. And one of my favorite uh, elements in that was I found um, I found the uh, sound effects for a thunderstorm rolling in. <laughs> and, then, and then when she's talking about being heartbroken about missing John, she's like like actress, she's like fake crying on the episode. And so I I have all this pouring rain. <laughs> just, it adds so much to to that little uh, that little piece of the story. But that was one of my favorites. Is you just hear like this thunder and lightning kind of roll in as she's getting sadder, and then when she's you know, fake crying. You just hear this, this heavy rain pour and, and she's talking about how heartbroken she was. And yeah, I love putting all that together. When, uh, when Bill came to me and, and wanted to do this podcast, he had, you know, some ideas of, of what he wanted to accomplish and, and why with your series punched up, what, what motivated you to, to want to do that and, and begin that process? I loved hearing um, podcasts like This American Life and Radiolab, um, S-Town, Serial, stuff like that that really brings, again, these interviews or these stories to life. And I just didn't think anybody was doing that for, for comedians. Um, you hear that again, like The Moth is a great series, but you're not really, there's no added music or sound effects or anything like that and they're great storytellers and i just i i had that revelation of like what if you combine those two worlds what if this american life and radio lab shows like that were focusing on these great storytellers that are comedians i i i don't think in the arts anybody is better than a comic i'll put a comic up against any dramatic actor any storyteller <laughs> any you know comedic actor anybody like anybody in the arts you throw a comic in, we're going to swim. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and um, I agree. And, I, I agree with that, but go yeah. ahead. Yeah. And I just, I, I just thought that those two worlds would just mesh so well together and nobody was really doing that. And this was also a time where like Mark Maron was really blowing up and his interviews yeah. with comics were so interesting and, and so enlightening. And I was like, Oh, well, this seems like a no brainer. What if the people mm -hmm. who were, you know, you listen to Joe Rogan for five hours to he'll to hear Bill Burr talk about you know, his father that was mean to him for six minutes. Yeah. Like, what if you just shined a light on that six minutes of, mm -hmm. of 
that really heartbreaking story about Bill and his father, and you made it sound like This American Life or Radio Lab, like that. That was kind of the the birth of that idea. Was what if we just take these two great things and put them together to make hopefully something else that's great. Yeah, I like that. It's um, and 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 just and also like the expansion of it. You know what I mean? Like you're not just you're not just in this place where you're focused on that one thing. Right. You know? And, and or, I mean, you are, I mean, you are focused on that one thing, but you're giving that one thing that much more life than just that run of the mill, simple, you know, I got to make sure that I keep this about me in a way like, like Joe Rogan still has to make sure the show's about him. Right. Right. You know, yeah, and you with with punched up, it was so far from being about you ever. Like you yeah. chimed in for two seconds a couple of times. Yeah, I really tried to just make it their story, you know. And mm-hmm. I was acting just as a guide. I was almost acting as the audience, you know. Yeah, I was just kind of like because I, I was I was hearing this story for the first time, and so a lot of the times you would just kind of hear reactions from me. Um, and then every once in a while, I would just kind of fill in here and there, um, or connect a story or something like that. But it was never, never did I ever come on there and make jokes or like interrupt or, or do any of that. You, you never hear me do that. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, and I don't know if that was on purpose or not, you know, it was just how it came together. I just, I just didn't feel like it was, it was about me, you know? And that's a straight, I mean, that's what's surprising because we're not good at that as comics, like inherently, we're not good at sharing. I mean, that's why, mm-hmm. you know, most of us can't do the improv group or we, we actually can't stand the improv groups. That's what know? I was just going to compare it to. We I can't did, share. Yep. I did years of improv and that's the main thing that you, you learn, you learn two things and that's building and listening. Yes. And and that was the two things that I, you know, now I'm thinking about it. Those are the two major things that made punched up work. I was building these stories and setting them up so other people look good. And I was listening. Mm-hmm. And that those are the two things you get taught the most in improv. It's and stand-ups doing improv is so hard because we are so trained to be like it's me, 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 punch, 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 punch. Yeah. And improv we're not good is, teammates. No, and it's build, 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 punch. Build, right. build, build, punch, and a lot of stand-ups can't figure that no. out. I mean, we're the best. Te- we're the best teammates in every. Like, if we're out of our element, we're great teammates. Yes. Like, we're the best on a movie set. We're great <laughs> on a movie set. Right. But we're not great when the idea is to be funny and there's other people there at the same time. Like, no, you know. You, it's like what Dave Chappelle said. Somebody else is fucking my girl right now and I can do it better. Like, it's yeah. just not, you know. Yeah. It's one thing to sit there and watch other comics perform before you or after you. Mm-hmm. It's yet another to be on the stage at the same time. Like, you're not bouncing shit off each other unless that's the idea. You know, you're all up there on stools roasting each other. It's That's completely different than first line, last line. Yeah, situation. you have to be really comfortable with yourself and and yeah, and I think that's also the other element that came into it was um and this is something that I applied to just stand up 
later in my life was that idea of killing versus connecting, which I talk about a lot. And I think that's the difference in Punched Up as well, where you're taking a story that normally a standup would take on stage and kill with and think about the beats and kill, 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 punch, punch, punch. Um, and now we're slowing it down and we're finding heart and we're finding different avenues and we're telling, you know, we're really building the story out. So we're connecting with the audience. And that's something that I applied to my standup later was that idea of going from kill, kill, kill to connecting with an audience. And again, that's not easy to do as a standup because we're trained to just fucking murder up there. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, I think, I think Chris Rock said it as well. Uh, he said, anybody can kill. Open micers kill. Um, yeah. And, and Patrice talked about you learn how to kill, and that's fine. And then you learn how to do comedy. And that's that's what it really is. It's connecting with an audience and making them actually feel something. And um, I think that's that's a big, big thing that not a lot of people are doing. It's weird, too, because I felt like I had just kind of gotten there right around COVID, right before COVID. I was just starting to get there where, I mean, I knew I was just more off. I was going on stage more often with the intent of experimenting, with the intent of having fun. Yeah. But but that fun not being about the laughs. Mm-hmm. And like connecting, worrying about connecting, worrying about trying different things, worrying about taking risks more than killing, because at some point we all got that in our back pocket. Right. And yeah, what, anybody think, can kill. Yeah. And I think where the hard part is, is when you can go ahead, because you have to get comfortable with eating a dick at first. And then you, and then you kill, and you don't eat a dick anymore, and you never want to eat it. You never want to feel like that again, <laughs> right? And then there's this whole new level of freedom that happens when you're like, "I'm gonna go eat a dick on purpose tonight." <laughs> yeah, you you're finding it, and that's yeah. and that's where that's where all the the best stuff is is in that uncomfortability. That's where you're gonna find the fucking gold, man. It's so. <laughs> I went to this open mic. Uh, I have I never, never went to open mics in Des Moines because I felt like they did me no good. Right. Like I, I started out and did got my chops and all that, but once I could go to the funny bone whenever I wanted, why would I go perform in front of a bunch of comics and when I can have an audience that I can gauge my shit off of? Yeah. Because that's the reality. You know, you don't want to gauge your jokes off of other comics. You'll never get a laugh. Oh, you're talking to a guy like, who lives in LA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I, ne I, I would never go. Well, uh, a friend of mine. Do you know Johnny Bush? Do you know Bush? Uh, I've heard you talk about him. I don't think I've ever. I met him. Okay, so, so John and wanted he was working on something, and so he asked a bunch of us to go down and watch him, and give him notes, right? Well, he's drunk when he gets there and signs us all up without telling us. And yeah. so I go on stage and I'm, I have nothing. Um, and I just start talking about all the shit I was going, my divorce. I was like, and I was talking, it was mostly comics, you know? So I was like, you know, you guys, I mean, here's the thing you can, if you just commit right now, 
Like if you commit right now and give everything you got right now, like 20 years from now, you can be 45 divorced twice and not have any idea who the fuck you are anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And, and of course it's just doom and gloom in the room, you know, nothing's happened. And I get off stage and, uh, Dwayne Clark, who you probably have met, who I'm sure has emceed a show or two at the bone when you were there. Yeah. Dwayne was there and he was like, that was the best set of the night. He was like, it was raw. He goes, you, that's what you should be doing all the time. I'm like, I don't think I could do that all the time, Dwayne. No, I don't think I'd ever work. I don't think anybody would pay me if I, I did some, that all the time. Sometimes it is magic in the bottle. Yeah. You know, some some nights, I remember I riffed. <laughs> I, I came back out of COVID, and I was setting up shows, and I um, I was doing one in Indianapolis at this little theater and then one in Columbus. And two nights in a row. I go to Indianapolis. I riff for like the first 10 or 15 minutes about the plane ride there that I'd witnessed for the first time somebody getting kicked off an airplane. Um, I had never seen that. And they were like mm -hmm. being rowdy and it was like a whole thing. And so I just kind of like riff the story. It crushed in Indianapolis. I go to Columbus the very next night. I do the same story, but I'm like, trying to put it together because you know you don't you don't write yeah it down yeah, the night before you did, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's the there right. yeah you exactly well now you don't have you didn't have the lack of confidence and not knowing what you were going to say the first time right it's that energy yeah, yeah. that excitement and all those things that, yeah. that that plow us through and um and so the second night it fucking bombs and bombs so hard <laughs> and also, my head, you, didn't, you didn't work on it in between right no, yeah. I, I was like, I'll just go tell down. that story again. <laughs> exactly. No idea what you said when that got the laughs or anything. You didn't fucking no, dissect it. No, because at it all. was it was so yeah. organic the first yeah. time. It was completely right. organic. So some nights you have that magic yeah. in a bottle and you're like, oh fuck yeah. <laughs> and then the next <laughs> night you're like, oh wait a minute, I should I should so go let back me to ask let me ask as a as, as somebody that's obviously not a comic and, yeah. and as my kids will say, not funny. So uh when you talk about the difference between, you know, build, 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 and then punch mm. and kill, you're talking about just literally you're doing your bits. You're, 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 you're leading on a story that is leading to a joke. Whereas right. opposed what you're talking about now is, is you're telling more of a story and bringing them closer into, to something real. Right. And then yeah. mixing in some comedy to lighten the mood but your, your your goal there is probably more to tell a story not necessarily get a laugh is that what i'm understanding yeah think of it like breadcrumbs so i'm giving them a treat every once in a while you give them a laugh you don't you can't go 15 minutes without punches you sure, know what i mean right you, you, you just can't you're gonna bore the audience so every once in a while you have to reward them for listening to keep their attention so you'll give them <laughs> you'll give them a one-liner <laughs> Am I alive? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like you're training a dog. You're training. You literally are training an audience because because they don't know. Uh, it's like they when know. I let my dog, I give him a treat after you he know, comes back inside. Do you know yeah. Ryan Stout? Yeah. Oh yeah, I love Ryan. So, like you know, you know, Ryan will talk addresses the crowd as crowd. Yeah. This, yeah. That's what that reminds me of right there. That attitude of like, okay, crowd. Yeah, here you go. Here you go. Here you go, crowd. Okay, now come on. 
Yeah, but you have to, you have to, because they don't, they have, they are in pre-fall. Yeah. They have no idea where you're going. You do. Right. You yeah, know right. exactly when the next punch is coming, you know, all that. So in your head, you're like, if I can just make it to here, then we're good. Okay. And so that's, that's the building is being like, if I can make it to here, then I can make it to here. Then I can. So you're slowly leading them along treat by treat. And then that way you're able to actually say something meaningful without losing their attention, without them getting angry or heckling or wanting to interject or getting bored or any of these things. Because again, they are blind. They have no idea where you're going with anything. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, that is comedy. That's the, it's always surprise, right? If comedy was predictable, nobody would fucking go see it. Yeah. So um, with when the storytelling comes in, it's just longer surprises. And so we have to just keep their attention longer. And so, yeah, the building is where you're just kind of laying out the treats along the way instead well, the, of just treat, 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 yeah, treat, right. treat. Well, and the, you're like, the comedy in this instance, the comedy is for levity. Right. It, it's oh, it's right. just, yeah. uh, um, you know, like the, the thing I did, the storytellers thing I did, I believe it was about yeah. 13, 13 minutes long. Right. Yeah. Started out with a whole bunch of funny. but then the lesson came and then it you know um which i had a lot of help making it into that but and um, and, uh, as a side note if people have not seen that 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 was really that was really good and i i bill i don't know that i've ever told you this but the first mm -hmm. time that i watched that was a couple days after i had gotten diagnosed with cancer was sitting in the hospital room Oh, really? I was the first time that you had, uh, I, I can't remember if you had sent it to me or if you had posted something or somebody had sent it to me because they knew I probably I posted you. it right when it came. I mean, and, when it came out, uh, I posted it. I watched that and it was so profound to watch, uh, especially at a time where I was struggling with some things that it, it was just, it was the right time to hear that story. So, uh, I, I'll see if I can find the link, and when we post this this audio, I'll, I'll post it in the link because if it's still out there online, I think it, it might. Be I think it's there. out there still, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> but it, you know, it's weird how the, all this stuff. It all started with a fight I got into in first grade. Yeah, and, and ended up thirty years later being this profound lesson when I just reflected on all of it. Like it was just weird how it all came together, but that's the point though. There was a bunch of all the comedy was for levity. And like, I, I remember the first time that I, I was hosting when you were at the club and the first time you closed with all this heartfelt shit. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying yeah. shit. Like, <laughs> Oh, what the fuck was this? What the fuck yeah. is this? Michael? No, it was, <laughs> But you're closing with our, all this heartfelt stuff. And I was waiting for a punchline. I was mm. like, because I'm closing the show. I got to come up. I can't make you walk off the stage all weird. Like, I got to be there to shake your hand and all, you know. So, yeah. like, I'm I'm in the, I'm on deck, like, waiting, waiting, <laughs> waiting. And it's, and it's all, it's all beautiful. Believe me. Like, I'm not saying this to make fun of what he was doing, no, but just no. the, the trained MC part of the show. And I'm just, okay. And so I'm just waiting for all that to happen. And then you say some fucking completely 
asshole thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. That and then it, and it would just break the tension and everybody fucking and you're just hey, good night. No, he tells all this shit and is so uh, you know, good night, everybody. And I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I just start running like I went to the back of the room about four times because I thought he was gonna close. I thought he was gonna close. Thought he was gonna close, and so finally I'm just like, all right, and I go back there, and that's when he fucking yeah. <laughs> it was so funny the the first few times I was working on. I think that was my my first hour. I was I was working on that, and um, that was about my mother and uh, losing my stepfather, and my mom back to back, and talking about that experience and the grief and everything like that. And um, I had not done that a whole lot. I was kind of scared of that material um, when I first started doing it. And I remember I was back in Indianapolis um, uh, and I was doing Morty's. It's a great little, used to be a great little club there. And it was my home club for a long time. And I was working with Rich Reagans. Do you know Rich? No, I was a crackers guy. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't get out from under Ruth Ann. Oh boy! Sorry <laughs> to hear that. Uh, so uh, anyway, yeah, Chris has no fucking. I have no yeah. idea what you guys are talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. literally at this point. I'm not even the host. There I'm are, just a listener. I'm just a listener. At there this were point. two clubs. There were two clubs in Indianapolis at the time. One was called Crackers. One was called uh, Morty's. Morty's. Yeah. And Crackers had two locations. Morty's had one. It was basically a lateral move, but you couldn't work both of them. They hated each <laughs> okay. other. It right. happens yeah, a lot in the industry, but yeah, um, so I stuck with Crackers because I could work two clubs. Right. <laughs> I, I, li- I lived in Indianapolis for a while. Yeah. Morty's was like the first people to like give me feature work and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So I was like, fucking Morty's for life, baby. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I'm working with Rich and Rich is a great guy. He's out of Kentucky. Um, so funny. And I've known him forever. And he's killing and they, he's a headliner, but he's just, he came to the club to hang out and kind of mm-hmm. open for me. Um, so we're having a great week. And then Saturday night we have a big sold out show and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do that. The big close tonight. And the time I was just kind of like, I'd done it maybe three or four times and it's a 15 or 20 minute closer. And, um, so at that time, I'd only done a handful, so I was still kind of finding it, still riffing it halfway, you know, still discovering it. And so I do the big close, and Rich comes in the green room afterwards, and he goes, man, that was like watching somebody land a goddamn plane up there. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that made me feel so it? good. Yeah, how did, so you knew, you took it positively then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that does sound positive, but still. Like, yeah, yeah, it was so interesting. But, but yeah, and, and that's, um, and then when I went to tape the, to record the special, um, I had a, a weekend up in Skyline. And so I had to do that closer Appleton? every night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was the, uh, it was the first time that I was kind of forced to do that closer every night. And so I did it five nights in a row. And let me tell you, doing that closer every night was draining uh, emotionally and mentally and all those things. And I remember one night I came off, it was Friday night late show. And I, I had riffed a piece of it that I had thought about before, but I never said out loud. And it just 
broke me. I almost started crying on stage, kept it together. But then afterwards went straight to the green room, shut the door and just like fucking lost it. And I remember that material being so heavy for me at that time. Um, and so hard to even, I was so scared of it and didn't, cause I knew what it, I knew what it was capable of. Cause when I would do that, people will come up and share their stories. And that's the connection that I'm talking about. People will come up. We just lost our brother. You know, my mother died. We, you know, this happened, this so happened. So now you got to fucking hear all that shit all night. Like, why yeah. did you even put yourself through that? <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was honestly, it was such a better feeling than great show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Well, it therapeutic too. Yeah. Yeah, and you're connecting on a way that that I was like, oh, I didn't know that this was is this is something that comedy could do. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, and so then I just I got more comfortable with it, and I think when you saw me, I was pretty pretty good with it and kind of numb <laughs> to, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, you've been through it enough, and that I mean, was that a new fear though? Like once you got numb, was it not going to be as effective because? the emotion you were almost going to have to feign the emotion i was scared to get of, it over I, you know i was scared of what's next that's what i was more afraid of was like once you do something like that and it is so different and it resonates so well with people you go fuck else can i do you know like that's the big thing you know i've been doing comedy 20 years now and it's like if that's the big ta-da right yeah What's the new? What, what's, what's left? Yeah, it's almost a <laughs> yeah, swan. It's almost a swan song of a closer. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, all right. And so, you know, um, the pandemic happened shortly after that. I think my special came out in like right in, towards the like right before things closed down. I think it came out in November and things closed down in March. Um, and the special did really well and. Then it was great. And then I had all of the pandemic to <laughs> sit around and think and about not be able next. to exploit it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what a fucking mind fuck. Uh, but I mean, you got back at it. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. perf are you still performing at Brad Garrett's at all right now? Yeah. Is that just, yeah. That, I mean, I'm, I'm taking just a handful of clubs that I'm, I really like doing right now. I'm going to be back at Brad's for New Year's. Um, so it's it's stuff like that that I'm doing, but I'm not touring like I was and I'm not doing any spots around town. I'm kind of like burnt out on that and I've kind of sure. shifted into, um, I've kind of carved out a little niche with filming comedy specials now for right. other people. And kind of in the same way I was working on Punched Up is I'm applying it to specials now. Um, I just got back from... We did uh, we did a month in Ireland. Uh, right? Yeah, it was mm -hmm. Scotland and London with Colin Moulton. We were building, we were shooting a documentary over there, finding about uh, his family roots, and then we had we spent a week um, on a on a farm in Scotland, building an hour of material um, that he was going to film in Scotland in a country he'd never been in. <laughs> in front of a crowd he's has no idea what they expect or what they like with material that wasn't written yet um with one show one chance to to nail it and we put two heartbeats in that thing that were like 
and, and when I say heartbeats, so those are the moments that like really bring the crowd down, connect, and then bring right. them back up again. Mm-hmm. So we had two of those in that show. And we built them all on a farm in Scotland. And, and we couldn't get guest spots. He didn't know anybody there. We couldn't do anything. So he couldn't run the hour. So he's literally, I have footage of him um, <laughs> literally running material by the cows out in the, out in the prairie. This is so, so fucking, all, everything you're saying to me right now is so Colin Moulton. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like the dude, he's... <laughs> He's one of those guys that's just a comic. He just is. Oh, like man. He's a machine, dude. He fucking... I, I can't remember who he was working with. I don't know. There was one day that him and some, whoever was opening for him, they went to a fucking garage sale and just bought a bunch of shit, and they had to do the whole show involving all this shit they bought at the garage sale. So Colin and I did that in Dayton. We came... We went to That was you sale. then that told yeah. me that story. Yeah, we this Perfect. is back in the day. Yeah, we went back and and um, bought a but we went garage sailing and then on that that show that night we did the show and then we went in the green room and had the MC stall and we changed into outfits that we had bought at the Goodwill that day too and we came out <laughs> as Colin Moulton's roadies and we had to sell all the stuff that we were. Uh, that we bought at the garage sale <laughs> and we stayed in character the whole time even when we're talking to people after we're at the merch table selling this stuff people are like you had a great show tonight we're like, we'll let them know <laughs> <laughs> so it was great so colin i mean colin commits to the bit and that's that's actually yeah. how we became friends he's the so first time we met fun, dude he's so fun we met at Morty's and he i watched the show blown away by it we had a lot of similarities he, at the time he was high energy i was high energy we both yeah. the characters on stage all the stuff so i was like who is this guy is this me yeah. from the future who the fuck yeah, is yeah. this and so he was out at the bar and i came up to him and um he started doing like this old man voice and i started doing this old man voice and we sat there trying to make the other one break but we're both too stubborn we sat there for 45 minutes as two old men talking about a funeral that we had not gone to <laughs> and, and just trying to get the other one to be like, ah, all right, man, what's up? How are you? Yeah. Like <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Yeah. And it was, you know, we've been, we've been a family ever since, you know? Yeah. He's great, man. And yeah, I, I did watch a little bit of the footage you shared of him at the piano. And, oh man. Uh, yeah. He's just uh yeah, he's a he's a he's a different cat, man, and he's just always great to be around. He's one of those guys that you like to see something really big happen for because he'd be ready. Yeah, and yeah, America and would love him. You know, it's yeah, and that's what I, I so that's what I'm I'm loving doing now is helping people develop. You know, they're coming to me if they have a half hour, an hour ready. I, I watch it. I help punch it up, or I find a heartbeat, or I you know I help them dig a little deeper. We workshop that. I, you know, I watch them through the process, tag it up, do whatever they need me to do on that end, and then film it and edit it and put it all together for them. So it's like a one-stop shop of people that are trying to do either a straight-up comedy special, like I can tag that up and do whatever, but more so for people that are trying to dig a little deeper or have a little heartbeat in in what they're uh, what they're trying to do. Boy, do I have a project for you, Michael. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about this off the air because right. I already know you're going to love it. I already right. know. I'm, I'm game. Let's do and, it. Uh, it's, I, 
I it's an idea I had during COVID that I wanted to do after once COVID got you know I can't say over but right whatever. Yeah. Um, the lockdowns. But yeah, but <laughs> one of uh, fucking Chris Porter talked me out of it, and I don't know why I let him. Cause he's fucking, cause he's fucking Porter. Yeah. Right? Uh, like I've never sat there. I've never actually sat in a room with Porter and had him go. That's a great idea. Like I have never <laughs> fucking heard that out of his mouth. No. And he, I I mean, he's Porter. great. I, yeah. I love it. I don't mean to, I, that makes it sound like he's a fucking prick or something, but he just, ever, I've just never had him be like, I mean, he's always given me props for being a good comic and all that. Like he's never, you know, but no. I've never talked to him about a thing and him be like, oh, yeah, fucking great idea. Like, he, <laughs> That'll he just work. Fucking pokes all the holes in everything. <laughs> right? Yeah. Those people are an absolute fucking killjoy, anyways. <laughs> like, let me have my, let me have my five yeah. fucking seconds of excitement before you yeah. shit all over it. Yeah. It's, so. al- it's almost in a way, it's almost in a way he's going, you're not good enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's yeah. not even that. Like, like I no, I'm saying Porter. Like I'm saying yeah. when Porter, when you're talking to Porter, yeah. he's like, it's like fucking, uh, yeah. I mean, I could do it, like, but you're not. <laughs> you're not gonna do that. You're, my you're old not. man was like that. Who the fuck I, do you I, think you are doing? My old man something. was like that. It didn't matter what I came up with. I'd come up with it. He'd be like, "Oh, that would never work because of blah 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 blah." Yeah. Hey, motherfucker. Why don't I have 30 seconds of a little bit of fantasy before you fucking <laughs> right? crap all over it? Yeah. yeah. Like, it could work, you know. Well, what's your plan? I don't know. I don't yeah. know this yet. Is, <laughs> this is step one of uh, 800. The idea I'm on, I'm is on the step first step. One. Right. Yeah. What's your backup plan? We're five minutes into the fucking conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think when it comes to being creative, and especially being creative for a living, People don't understand the amount of ideas that don't get executed as compared to the ones that do. I mean, we've all got a million ideas and then you might start to develop one. You might take the next step, get into the beginning stages of it. And then that just fizzles out. And then some of them you get even further and it fizzles out. Like something going from start to completion is so hard in itself. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm amazed by someone like Michael who has completed. I mean, you, you've filmed several comedy specials now. Um, yeah, you've got a couple of projects. I mean, you've. Um, I, I'm trying not to talk out of my ass because, you know, I don't remember everything. Because, I mean, you know, obviously, I'm not sitting here trying to find a way to suck Michael Malone's dick all the no, time. No, no, but you know. <laughs> No, keep but, going, isn't that, keep isn't going. that what you were talking about before? About how you sometimes you just you, you like to do that? Isn't that wasn't that the conversation? Ever? Yeah, well, I mean, I that's pretty much how I got on the podcast. Is I was like, how many green room blowjobs does it take to get you to come on this show? I felt like I've paid my dues. So um, but mental health wise, like have. I know that you've always talked openly and honestly, even on stage about, mm-hmm. about your own mental health and how much of what you're doing now is driven just by that, just having some peace. I mean, are you finding your daily disposition being better with these projects than, than just doing stand up? 
Yeah, what I'm finding now is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finally having the time to actually have a life. You know, I was touring 40 or 46 weeks a year um, for a long time. And actually having time with myself, by myself, which sounds kind of ironic because when you're touring, you're by yourself, but it's not the same energy. You know, It's not you're, the same by yourself. You have something right. to look forward to. Yeah, and you're, yeah, it's yeah. planes, trains, and automobiles, and then you're performing, and then you're hanging, yeah. and then like you know you're sleeping in. You're just, it's not life, you know. Right. Um, and so what I'm finding now is I'm having a lot more downtime, a lot more time from it. So I'm discovering a lot more about myself and finding all these things that I'm like, oh shit, is this what this is? And therapy is is becoming a regular thing now in my life where it was kind of spotty before and now I actually have time for it and actually to work on myself and I'm loving that and um, my buddy and I actually just started uh, a podcast about a month ago called secondhand therapy and we were we found ourselves calling each other up after our, our separate therapy sessions and being like, guess what I learned today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I jokingly called it secondhand therapy. And, uh, and we were, you know, going back and forth every week. And then I was like, you know, we just thought we were like, we should be recording this or sharing this and maybe it could help somebody. And I think what sets it apart is that we aren't gurus. We aren't professionals. Right. We aren't, right. You know, people like screaming at you about motivation, like you got to set your alarm for 4 a.m. every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. You start out by making your bed. Yeah. Right. We are literally two, just two dudes that are going through it and trying to figure it the fuck out. And that's what the, that's what the show is, is literally discussing what we are discussing and experiencing in our own therapy sessions, sharing it with each other and being like, dude, guess what I fucking learned this week? Yeah. Yeah. And then just talking about it and the feedback has been incredible. The growth on social media has been, I, I didn't know that there was such a, a, an empty space for that. You know um, we have 10 episodes up and I think we have like 15,000 followers on TikTok now and all this crazy stuff. We've get on it, Chris. Yes. Yeah, get your fucking <laughs> shit together, Chris. It's been great. Hey, and, right? but, hey guess what? <laughs> Michael Malone just stole my fucking idea and has no followers. <laughs> um, no, it's, like, essentially, that's Chris, Chris and I. Like, I mean, that's everything kinda, on this you know, podcast this... is copyrighted, Michael. So right. yeah, that's, that's to, our idea. I, I had to get um, like uh, the beginning stages of this. Uh, we, I spent a lot of time trying to get Chris to go to therapy. It's so, <laughs> right, like because yeah. Chris never like he was all about this whole mental health and and the idea which I explained to you is to have men be more comfortable talking about this yeah, and having fun talking about hard things uh, mm -hmm. because that's, I mean, that's basically the mission of the whole thing. And comics, we're really good at that. Yeah. We're really good at making, bringing levity. Uh, sometimes we're bad at reading the room as <laughs> right. in, Really? That, that sometimes no. I mean, we're good at reading the room in in general, right? Like, okay. But sometimes we'll drop a joke in when it's probably wasn't quite like, like I'll give you a good example. This is my fucking family. So <laughs> my uh, stepmom's sister, so my aunt, so to speak, right? Um. She is a big, like, big Trump pansy, like, 
conspiracy theory person. At one point, her husband had, he was in the hospital with COVID and she was running up down the hall saying that they put it in him and she was going to sue and like she had a son who was gay. Um, how you suppose that worked out, right? Right. Uh, which it actually wasn't as bad as you'd think. They actually did have somewhat of a relationship, but you know how it is. I'm sure the back of his head was never. But anyway, he committed suicide last year. Or I'm sorry, no one's said that for sure. It's kind of an assumption. But um, accident slash to either way, right? Um, fast forward a couple, couple, three months, couple months ago, three months ago or so, her husband kills himself, shoots himself in the head, didn't quite die uh, on the scene, went back to the hospital, was alive for a couple more days, had him on all the stuff. He's an organ donor. They're sitting there in the room with the organ donor lady, my stepmom and her, and I don't know who else. They're explaining everything. And they ask her if he was allergic to anything. And she says, yeah, bullets. (laughs) I was waiting for something. I was too. I wasn't sure where this was going. This is this is where I could have used a couple breadcrumbs to keep me going. A hundred percent true. One hundred percent true. And and what do you do? It's her fucking husband. She can make all the jokes she wants. Right. Like what the fuck? What do you get? I personally, uh, way up on cool points for me. Like. <laughs> so much of my respect this is, this is michael this is the theme of the pod is typically bill goes completely off the rails with some crazy geezy fucking story and then no. i i break in and want to get a word from our sponsor about this time so, <laughs> so, so funny. with that uh levity of a story we're gonna get a word from our sponsor revelton and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna continue our uh discussion with michael malone so funny At Revelton Distilling Company, everyone has become a part of the Revelton family. From the Taylors and their daughter who helped perfect their award-winning gins, to the team who installed Lucy, our 33-foot-tall custom-made still, right down to the local farms that provide our coveted corn, and even the cows on those farms who consume our mash byproduct. Want to see the farm to flask come to life? Now you can tour Lucy and find out where we take Iowa's harvest and transform it into our finest spirits. Choose between a 45-minute tour or find out even more by scheduling a VIP behind-the-scenes tour to get the taste of the full Revelton experience. You can visit them at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or find all of Revelton's award-winning spirits at any local grocery or spirits retailer. All right, and we are back with Michael Malone on False Starts. Everybody, go check out Revelton Distilling Company. Go down to their tasting room. And their new rye whiskey is now available in uh, most uh, liquor stores, Hy-Vee, Fairway, and Groceries. So, Michael, uh, again, we really appreciate you guys, you coming on with us. Um, you're you're doing your series now. You've done some specials. Mm-hmm. What 
what's coming up for you? Um, I, uh, I, like I said, I'm trying to work on another season of Punch Up. I've always wanted to do it, and now I'm I'm having a little bit more time, and so I'm trying to put that together. I have a series coming out of these interviews that we shot in Las Vegas at Brad Garrett's club. Um, there's a handful of them. It's called Stand Up Sit Down. Um, Brad produced them. Um, and I, I sit down with like guys like Dave Landau and Tom Rhodes and Jim Cober and, um, just really fun interviews. Oh, Jen's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, Yeah, she was on earlier. Yeah. I shot her special in, in Vegas and she usually, so I would go in early and, and watch the acts throughout the week and then give notes and do whatever. And then at the end we would film the special for the last few days of the, the week there in Vegas. And I came to Jen, I'd watched her three nights in a row and I came to her Thursday night and I go, I have no notes. <laughs> She's like, really? I was like, I, it's yeah, you can't touch fucking her. great. You can't touch her. You just gotta, nope. She's yeah. incredible. She's um, incredible. Yeah. Her special's great. It, um, and so, so I had her on for one of the sit downs and then we have a couple round table episodes coming out under that same name that have like Danny Bevins on and Jill Kimmel and big Irish J and a lot of those guys like that. Um, it's a really fun little series. Um, and then, yeah, I'm trying to put together the storyteller show as far as like solo things go and, um, really take the shift from stand up to more storytelling, like a Berbigli or a Titus or something like that. Sure. Uh, Mark uh, chimes in here, Bill. He he's right on board with you. He said even he made a joke in his own mom's funeral. So, uh, I mean, I remember when my when my two best friends when their dad died. We were in our early twenties, and they, the two of them, at the visitation were in like at the front pew, and there's their dead dad, like open casket right there and the two of them are sitting there trying to break me <laughs> like and would not they would see like me turn because they can laugh they can laugh right it's all these other yeah. people they don't know yeah. that i'm family too they don't know right. that about me some sure. of them do but most of them have no idea i mean right the next and day i did break the, yeah, like I did yeah. the eulogy at the funeral and stuff. Like I was, I was that close. But so many of their extended family doesn't know that. So I'm like, I can't be sitting here fucking laughing, right? They're and they're just dude. being relentless. And I think sometimes that's just how people deal with the shit, honestly. And so I don't think it's okay. that was the question I was going to lead up to. So you guys are obviously in the business of, of comedy and, and, and levity and things like that. But I, I, I think Bill, I agree with you. I think that a lot of times in those types of situations or whatever, comedy and levity is almost required and needed sometimes. I mean, Caitlin and I uh, have talked a lot about sometimes on our podcast when there's shit flying around in our family or whatever else, sometimes the best thing to do is just, fucking make fun of it yeah because that's how we deal with it yeah i was i you know i look at it as like a little bit of sugar makes the medicine go down and that's how i've tried to blend in the the jokes with the the something that the message you know a little bit of sugar makes it go down a little bit and that's yeah way better and so talk a little bit about though dealing with all that law i mean you were 
your you your stepdad came into your life when? When I was fifteen. Okay, so you were raised by a single mother up until then, correct? Yeah. So my my father, I joke around that he was on everything but the right path, you know. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he really wasn't around, and my I put it like this: my father, my father had three other kids from a, a separate marriage, and my father loved like babies but he didn't like children and so um so yeah he was he was around when i was really young but then just kind of disappeared and was in and out of my life and um and so then he he passed away when i was 12 and uh i was the one that found him he passed away in his sleep and um and then my mother went three years single and then she um met wayne and her and Wayne started dating and they got married, all that fun stuff. And Wayne was great. And he was like a savior to my family. Um, and then Wayne passed. And about a year later, my mother passed both unexpectedly when I was around 30. And then my grandmother just recently passed uh, during COVID and all this stuff. So I've been dealing with grief since I was young, young, my, it's, my grandfather passed, my uncle passed, then my father, like three male figures in my life back to back from the ages of when I was 10 to 12. Um, and it was just my mother and my grandmother pretty much in my life raising me. Do you feel like, um, like, where do you, where do you feel like that helped and where do you feel like it didn't? Like, are, oh, are, are, is there any negative? I mean, I'm sure there's some negativity with not having like a positive male role model all the time, but I don't know. How have you dealt with it? Yeah, it. You know, it. It. It's really changed my relationships with with other men um, because I can't connect in a lot of ways that they do. You know, like I don't watch sports i don't know how to fucking change my oil you know like these traditional ideas you're a like, fucking pussy you yeah fucking exactly. Pussy, Michael. exactly so all these things that like traditionally are more towards the stereotype of what what a man is like i just yeah. don't relate to that but on the other side of it i was given the gift of more empathy and more understanding and listening and stuff like that from my mother and grandmother and but they also had a lot of strength to them they were too badass women you know my grandmother was her story is incredible and i share some of it on my last special wait and see um I it's all about my grandmother and uh, you know her abusive past relationships and escaping death from her ex-husband and uh, the loss that she survived in her life and how strong she was and all these things that all these examples that she set for me that the whole specials about that. And my mother was in the same way. Um, I saw a lot of strength in my mother because it was just her, you know, she's working two jobs. She's working the, you know, I come from a factory town in Ohio. And so it was never like, is your dad a, a doctor or a lawyer? It's like, what shift does your father work? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, yeah there was, everybody in the town worked at that factory. Yep. Yeah, there, there were three factories in town and everybody Which worked one? at one of them. Yep. And so my mother worked um, second shift. And so she'd get home at midnight or 1 a.m. sometimes um, from the factory and uh, you know, some of my memories growing up, my best memories growing up would be uh, some nights I get to stay up and, and wait for her to come home, you know, oh, yeah. uh, 
and I would, one of the funniest things is like, this, this is, this is parenting, right? So I would hide in the same spot every time I would hide in the fucking clothes hamper in the bathroom every time. And, uh, and my mother would come home and she would ask grandma, well, where's Michael? And then it would have like a little play that they worked out. I haven't seen him. What do you mean? You haven't seen him. You know? <laughs> and then sure enough, my mother would act surprised every time she's searching through the house and then she'd come in the bathroom. I just, I don't know where he is, you know, and I'd pop out of the hamper. Hey, she'd be like, Oh, thank God. You know? And it was like, how many fucking times do you know a mother will do that a hundred times? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you know, right? Even you even knew, yeah, that she knew you were in there. Of course, I mean, and you, you know, did it anyway because it do was it anyways. And but I think that stuff gets so underestimated. Like I, I remember a buddy of mine talking about uh, making core memories with his kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wish somebody would have fucking given me that term when I, when my son yeah. was small. Yeah. If I would have thought of things in that, just that goddamn label would have made me such a better father. If I would have thought of things in that way, it's not like he didn't have his core memories, but I would have been more purposeful with them. I think you a lot more cognizant of it. Yeah. I think a lot of times, though, time moves in in such a way that when we think about time, it's long. And when we don't think about it, it flies by. And I experienced this with my ex and she had a daughter and she was 12 when I came in. The ex wasn't 12. The daughter was 12. Um, (laughs) She just acted 12. Oh, (laughs) oh, but she had a 12 year old daughter. And when I when I met with her and then I was with her all the way until she turned 16. Um. But in that time, when you're dealing with children, it almost feels like you're just trying to get through the day a lot of the times. But and you're forgetting to actually spend those moments with them like you're talking about. Make these core memories actually be active in their lives, because to you, it's just, a, you know, I, I got to get through. the. I got this yeah. to do. I got that. You have you right. have adult shit going on that you're trying to work mm-hmm. through to them. They have not, it's an empty fucking slate. And right. you are kind of the world. Um, to them and so but we don't think of it that way until it's Never. too late and that hindsight right. and then you're like i should have played catch with them more and you're like well you fucking didn't so yeah, that, well, <laughs> here we are yeah. but and that's i think that's why grandparents have such a superiority complex uh, and, and yes. want to like parent your parenting because right. they know they're watching you literally they're getting the same opportunities things. right yeah and they're, and they're thinking to themselves how they would have smelled the roses more and they're always my, saying, hey, enjoy them while they're this age. My, it goes by quick, you know. Yep. My old man, I remember one time I was I was yelling at Tyler about something. And uh, this was before he transitioned, so it was Taylor. But I was on her pretty hard. And my dad goes, hey, you should not yell at that little girl. What? What fucking house are we in? Like, no. you yelled at me every day of my yeah. life. Like, yeah, and I regret it. Did he face? say that though? And he goes, and he goes, and that was wrong. Oh wow, wow! And I was like, I don't know what to do now. Is this you saying you're sorry? <laughs> say, come on, say you're sorry, so I can right. be a mess right now. Right, like, <laughs> is that the closest I'm going to get to an apology? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, well, so, let's be uh, honest. Sure. You don't want. You really don't want an apology. You never wanted an apology because if you got one, you'd have fucking lost your mind. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he would watch me and he'd be like, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. And yeah. 
And even now I'll have a conversation with, with, with my wife and I'll, and I'll do something with the boys or whatever. And, and she'll be like, you shouldn't. And I, and I sometimes will go, I struggle with it. Right. Because I'll, I'll say, yeah, she's probably right. But then I'll go, do you think that I'm a good person and a good man and, and, and a good husband? And she's like, well, yeah. I was like, well, I'm not sh- How do you think I got that way? Like, yeah. I was raised in this way. That's how my dad raised me. So, yeah. you know, but yeah, there's probably a better way to do it. But he, and as he got older, a hundred percent what you're saying, Bill, that he would, he would recognize those things and, and, and reparent mm. me because he knew the mistakes that he had made. Yeah. That's so interesting. Well, and like, uh, you know, how's that been? You know, I, I think you and I kind of, I went through my divorce kind of around the same time. I think, um, you, well, yeah, I guess yours is a little more recent. Your yeah, breakup, I think right? I think the last time I was there, you were going through it, and I actually I yeah. had the the uh, daughter with me. Um, oh, that's right, Iowa. That's right. Yeah, we were. She was. Um, but when I saw you in Vegas, when I saw you in Vegas, mm. what where were you at then? Were you still together then? Still together then. I yeah. thought so. I thought she was there. Uh, she might have been there. Yeah. Probably, probably. Anyway, she she would come all the all the fun stuff. Yeah, you know? <laughs> but that's been a that's been a couple of years though. I mean, I don't think it was too much longer after that. Yeah, um, we've been split for a little over a year now. So yeah, I mean, did you find yourself in in like a non creative funk there for a while? Oh, absolutely. It was it was starting over, you know, in the in in many ways and. You know, I didn't really know. I wasn't, I was, I was already not happy with doing stand up, but I didn't know what to do with myself. I struggled a lot during COVID with identity crisis. Oh, me and you both. That was my yeah. whole exact, uh, yeah. It was, yeah, this idea of like, who am I without comedy? And I, yeah, didn't know and how then to there separate. goes, and then, and then my wife leaves me and it's like, oh, fucking thanks. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for being a trooper. <laughs> It's like that Nick Griffin joke. I love this fucking joke about um, <laughs> his wife. Nick Griffin's the best. Yeah. And he was talking about um, how his his wife was saying that he is too depressed and he needs to get therapy. And then they got divorced. And he's like, well, this divorce should help. She's <laughs> 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 fucking great. So sharp. Um, uh, but yeah, so, um, you know, I... I you know, I really was kind of upside down um, last year around this time, last October, actually. I was just kind of in this area of like, I didn't know what to do with myself and I didn't know how to get out of it. And I was at a really low point. Um, but now things are way better. I'm feeling way more creative. I'm, you know, I'm in therapy. I'm working through a lot of things. I'm, you know, um, I like to say that I'm I'm not hoeing, I'm healing right now, so I'm not really <laughs> getting out there and doing stuff. But um, the I'm still in the the daughter's life. I you know oh, that's I'm still cool. that's good. That was one of the things I wanted to make sure when we split that like I wanted to be in her life as long as she wanted me to be. Yeah, yeah she. And, I mean, she was important. You you were important to her in her life. It's it's not you know just because you and her mother were not together it doesn't mean right she's not gonna go through yeah. some stuff and she can just turn off her feelings right and she doesn't and have a lot of people don't realize that no and she doesn't have a lot of strong male figures in her life and i wanted to 
be what you know it's it's like we talk about all the time like if you if you want to see the change be the change right. and that was where an instance where i felt like i could actually help out in that and i could actually maybe change that narrative a little bit and be like hey i know that you don't have a great track record with other men but i'm here to tell you that like not all guys are like that and i'm here for you and anytime you want like i'm i'm here i'm a phone call right. away and so we've we've gone out a few times, it's, you know, movies and stuff like that, or just hangs. We took a record store shopping and this and that, you know, just whatever, and just trying to stay active in her life and 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 be there uh, as much as again she wants me to be. I'm not trying to like force it or, or be on it, but when you need me, I'm here. Yeah. Well, and I th I would imagine it was probably hard for you as well. I I think now I'm I'm in my second marriage. I've I've raised the boys with their mom. I mean, their dad was always involved, but mm. they were with us the majority of the time since they were graduated kindergarten. So they, they're 20 now. So I couldn't imagine now if something were to happen, me all of a sudden going, well, I, I, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need a relationship with them. That, that, that would yeah. not, it would be like me saying my own kids. I, I, I couldn't do that. That would be very hard to, to do in process. And I didn't understand that idea of that, uh, that love that, you know, I never wanted children. I never thought I would have children, all that stuff. I, I still don't want children or have anything to do with it. This just happened to be like a perfect scenario. You know, sure. she was already a little older and we were able to connect and she was super cool and all those things. And um, we just got along and it, it, was, it was heartbreaking when, you know, the split happened. And, um, you know, I, I never understood that that kind of love that goes in with kind of parent figure and child and Wayne had that for me and a lot of those times it was like a full circle moment for me mm -hmm. um and you know Wayne would talk about all the time you, you feel like my own kid or I think about you like you're my own son and you know the love he had for me and I you know as growing up and even as an adult you're like yeah I know I love you too kind of thing yeah but when she came into my life it was the first time like oh this is what that love is. yeah he wasn't right. full yeah. of shit yeah yeah, yeah. I was like Oh, I fucking love this little girl. Like, yeah. Oh, like that's my girl. Oh, that was, that's <laughs> you know? the major, like for me, my, you know, my divorce, I had two stepkids for over 10 years. I mean, I was yeah. with them when they were five and three and they were, right. yeah, uh, they were 16 and 18 when we split and I haven't Man. spoken to either one of them in three years. Oh, wow. And I try, I tried at first yeah. Uh, like I tried sending them both money on their birthday and they got sent back to me. Man, you I know, just, just, that's just, that's well, unfathomable to me that, that I, even, but I couldn't keep trying, you know, once no, all that I, happened, I, it was like, okay, you know, right. and I, I'm sure the narrative was probably spun, you know, because initially I was trying to save my marriage, you know? Sure. So, right. Yeah. I'm sure initially it was spun. Like I was trying to manipulate the kids somehow or, right something like that and then later on you know once all the facts of everything started coming out then of course i had to be demonized in order to rationalize you know sure. the shit that right. she pulled so yeah. you know it's fine I, I i'm okay but it hurt you know it bothers me i i felt like i was basically raising them for 10 years and i was yeah. pretty attached to them 
but and, yeah, and you don't absolutely. know like it yeah. it'll come back around you know what i mean like we'll see true. i mean maybe i i don't know you know <laughs> I mean, i've got my son though i mean i it's not like i didn't i lost my actual son right you know? i've got him so it's you know uh but people get older and they, they realize you know that it, that's the thing about also with aging and and all those things and the circle of life and hindsight and all those things we talk yeah. about like you know you're not you don't know what's going to happen with them well, they would have to, you know, I, 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 I believe that they were made to believe I was abusive somehow, you know, yeah. that's what yeah. I think happened. And, you know, you had to, you have to make me look like that. You know, if you run off with your best friend's husband, you kind of got to make it look like I did something wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like, you know, what do you, uh, yeah, I you always, uh, I, you know, I, I, I mean, you'd think they'd be old enough to kind of put that together. They knew the right. people, you know, right. so you kind of just seeing that would be like, eh, this doesn't smell right. Right. Yeah. But it's their I, mom, you know. I've I, yeah. I learned, yeah, but you know what, Bill, that I don't know that that matters because I, I've learned, especially in my situation with, with my kids uh, from my first marriage, eventually the truth filters out and they Absolutely. figure it out. And, you know, the the relationship now that that my daughter Caitlin has with her real mom is not good at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure from the other side, I am blamed a little bit for that. But I have never uh, I've never filtered the information that has went to Caitlin. I've let uh, whatever happens happens uh, and let her figure it out. And I knew that she was intelligent and smart and she would make her own decisions. Uh, I, I can't say that I sit here and I'm happy that she doesn't have a relationship with her because I, I, I never would want that. But I certainly am not going to interfere on behalf of my ex-wife. And I'm certainly not going to tell Caitlin that her feelings are not valid because I know mm. I, I, I know how that, that relationship ended and how and what kind of a mother she was. Uh, I certainly Just... don't. I certainly don't double down on it, but I don't certainly go to Caitlin. You shouldn't act that way or you shouldn't feel that way because... Sure her feelings are valid well i've always been when it came to my son and his mom because i mean full disclosure i can't fucking stand his mom like it's like if it weren't for my son i would have no redeeming like anything oh i'm, I'm like with it's I mean, like i get it um her voice is nails on a chalkboard to me her personality is just i mean everything about her is annoying I, and she's always gotten mad. She's always been pissed off. Well, I mean, I maybe it's I, the same lady. I don't know. Maybe I left her. That's the thing. I've got two divorces under my belt, and uh, the first one I left, the second one I was left, and so I know what it's like to be both people. And when I, when I, ever since I left, I know what it's like to be the person that that isn't loved you yeah. know what i mean and so like that was her she was one that wasn't loved and in fact i straight up said that eventually i was just like look i don't love you this isn't gonna get better yeah i gotta go my son's gonna grow up thinking you're an asshole <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> right or i'm an asshole or both or whatever so like and and i think she held on to that anger forever and now he's 21 years old 
so she can't hold me hostage in a parent a co-parenting conversation anymore none of that right. can happen yep. now and she's and over the years she always got mad when i'd set a boundary you know she'd call me and i'd ignore the call yeah call me again i'd ignore the call then i'd get a text hey call me when you get a chance and i'd be like about what and then she'd say in the text. So all of it could have been texted to begin with. Right. But she wants to hold right. me hostage on the phone. Right. Yes. So I knew this move. So I always did it. Well, here recently, she just called me out of the blue. So I said, ah, I'm busy. You know, what's up? Oh, nothing earth shattering. No big deal. Week later. Text message. Hey, call me when you get it. When you have a chance to chat. About what? Well, our son, LOL. Not sure what else it would be about. And I'm like, well, I understand that, but he's 21 years old. Right. Yeah. And so then I get, okay, heard. Like, like I'm going to pick up the phone. Oh, no, wait, wait, no. Yeah. And so, like, once you set those boundaries, I but now I don't, I don't have to renege on them. Like, I swear to God. So I called my lady. son. And I was like, why is your mom calling me? <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't know. I ignored her call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but I actually said to him, "I go well now." And then he, I said, "Well, it's probably. I'm sure she's concerned with something. Are you? Are you not working enough? Are you not giving her money you're supposed to give her? What's going on?" So he tells me all this shit, and I just go, "Well, like you're starting to learn why I divorced her. You, you fucking get it now. <laughs> no. Now I can say shit like that, you know." Right, mom. Yeah. <laughs> Like you live with her, you fucking. I'm nope, sorry, nope. I just it's I've had the exact same conversation. <laughs> That's great, and the exact same text conversations with her. I so, it might be the same lady. I don't know, maybe. So Michael, like, so your parents were together when your dad died. Yeah, but my father was in and out of the relationship. He was. <laughs> it's such a a wild story. So my father was sober for the majority of his life, but he was stuck working in these factories and he didn't want to be. Um, so one day he came home from working the forklift and he told my mother that he was tired of working in the factory and he had a plan to get out. And my mother said, well, what are you going to do? And he goes, my friends and I are getting together. We're going to buy a bar. And she goes, well, you don't know anything about, you don't drink. What are you talking about? You're going to buy a bar. And he goes, I'm tired of working in the factory. I'm going to buy a bar. And so we did. And then he started doing bar things and drinking and doing all that. And it kind of tore him apart. But his ex-wife was um, kind of around. You know, they were still in his life. Uh, and he was still a father to those kids. And the bar didn't make it. And he started driving truck for a little while. And he got in an accident. And um, in the the book that I, I wrote called Dead Serious, the story about my father is I talk about how his doctor was his first drug dealer. He mm. put him on a bunch of pain pills. Yeah. My father couldn't get off of them. So now, now he's a drinker and he's on all these pain pills and his ex was on a bunch of pain pills. And so they would drink and because my mom really didn't do those things. So he would hang out with her and drink and do pills and then try to come home to my mom. And it was always this back and forth. And my mother was always really good, though, at never letting me think anything different of my father. While, you know, Phil, even when I got older, you know, um, I never knew a whole lot about my father and especially the bad shit. But we were driving. I was like 29, 
and we were driving home from Thanksgiving and um, we were coming from Columbus back to Marion uh, where I grew up and she points to this prison off to the right and she goes well that's the prison your dad was in and i was like <laughs> what when what are you talking about she's like oh he was blah 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 and i'm like so mad just matter that. of fact like that right. yeah and so it's like but, this is where your grandmother blew up grew up and this is where <laughs> i i i got my first kiss and this is where your dad was in prison this is no. where you were conceived in a conjugal visit. This is <laughs> right. what I didn't tell you, son. Uh, right, but you have. I some... was wild. Man. <laughs> yeah. So my mother, my mother did a really good job of separating those 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 ideas of who my father was, so that my father, throughout my life, was always just my dad. You know, I didn't think of him any other way until you know you get older, you, you hear the more adult stories, and you start to unravel. Um, sure. You know, and even in the book, I say like you know, a man is only as good as the stories you, you tell about him. And that's, I, I find that to be very true. There, you know, who are you without those stories that people tell about you? And, you know, my father had a lot of those stories and you connect them as you get older. And one of the, I'm, this is my favorite story and the most heartbreaking one. Um, I have a, I have a half sister named named Heather. And after my mother died, Heather and I got together and we're sharing stories about mom and, and it, she she was my 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 father's daughter. So she was that past relationship. And so she was sharing stories about dad and all these things and and um she had a different version of him. She had sober him, she had like dad of the year him and I had messy dad. Yeah. And so we're comparing stories and doing all this. And she was talking about when she was pregnant with her daughter, dad used to come by her house and he'd have pizza or he'd have just some cash for her. And he would just come by the house and just, you know, knock on the door and Hey, I was in the neighborhood. I just thought, you know, you might need this or I brought you some food or whatever. And, um, one of the last times she saw my father, he knocked on her door. And he was strung out and asking her for money for pills. And that's the dichotomy of the two sides of my father it was this great man once. And then just this other thing that he became. Yeah. Um, he was sick. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I feel like I that's what people don't. And this is what we're talking about with mental illness mental illness begats all of that this is undiagnosed he he was a factory dude a truck dude a bar dude he's of that you know i imagine if he were alive now he'd probably be 70 something right yeah, yeah. um you know same as all of our dads you know my dad's that same generation there you you dealt with it and and like you said, you know, he hated working in that factory every day. Well, the biggest reason he probably hated it was unfulfilled potential in his head somewhere. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And so he gets out of there, opens up the bar. He was probably thinking at the time, I don't drink. Like, I think about this all the time. I I even asked somebody the other day, how much, how much Coke can I get for 10 grand? Because <laughs> I don't do Coke. Right. If I had 10 grand worth of Coke and I sold all of it, I could make a shit ton of money because I won't do any of it. 
Yeah. So, like, you know, I can't have a pound of weed sitting around. I'm going to smoke half of it. I'm going <laughs> right. to that deal. He smoke his profits it, right up. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the same. He was probably thinking, I open up this bar. Right. It's pure profit. I don't drink. Yeah. I'm just going to make nothing but money. And then he starts drinking. And then the booze are free, basically. Yeah. And then, you know, so on and so forth. And next thing and you if know. You're not, and if you're drinking, you're probably not running the business the way you should. Exactly. You know, you're, you're not, you don't have your faculties to you. 100%. Things like that. You know, and then you got mm-hmm. fucking bartenders yeah. stealing from you because you're drunk all the time. Right. So whoever mm-hmm. you employ is stealing from right. under your nose. All and well, you got and, friends and, coming in. And yeah, hanging. And, you're just yeah, giving them right? free booze. Yeah. I mean, it's a. Yeah. Now, had he stayed sober, he probably would have done a great business. Probably would have been fine. Yeah. But, um, but I think the drinking was probably dealing with the stress of having your own business. And part of it was he probably went, I mean, if he had, if he had a family already in place before you, he'd been a father his whole adult life, basically. Yeah. yeah. So he never had to have any fun. So yeah. He's, he's probably ready military, to have a little bit of fun. Had a family. Responsibility, yeah. Yep. You know? Yep. And all that, per- it was just that perfect storm of shit, and he just never got out of that hole. Well, yeah, kind of that rut and never got out. And you're part of the story where you where you talked about he, his doctor was his first drug dealer. Mm-hmm. I, I watched um, a, doc, a a a docu film on Netflix called Painkiller. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. it or not. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh, how OxyContin is was prescribed through these doctors, and they took six people's stories and and for six episodes kind of talked about it and there is a, a gentleman who is a character in this movie that is a true story of a of a hard-working guy that had his own mechanic shop and he was a loving father and he took care of his wife and he got injured on the job and they gave him this oxycotton and he it destroyed his entire life it destroyed yeah. his his marriage his relationship with his kids he was, you know, stealing from his kids. It, it was it was gut wrenching to watch. Yeah, just as a TV show. So, I mean, just to hear you say that it immediately just makes me well, just just sad to see. There's another see one like that. There was one that came out before this called Dope Sick. It was on Hulu. Uh, Michael mm. Keaton plays a doctor in that, mm. and that's a true story where Michael Keaton, the doctor, got hooked on OxyContin. It, it started with the pharmaceutical companies and just pain management. It was all done under the guise of pain. You, you don't and have to be in pain. These drugs are amazing. You know, that's and, what yeah. this, that's what this yeah. one was too. It was all and about you didn't how take they it as prescribed, these... you know, yep. but that's what happens if you're not taking it, you know, the, at the time they didn't know how to prescribe it. They didn't know how to take somebody's weight and tall, you know, all that stuff and give you this no. many milligrams. It was right. just, here you fucking go. And my, and my, the doctor that was giving my father's medicine years later, went to jail, went to prison because he was over prescribing people. He was selling it under the table. He was, yeah. I mean, it was legit like drug dealing. Yeah. Well, and like when I was in the hospital, I was on fentanyl. Like I had a mm. fucking fentanyl drip and you could only get it every 10 minutes. And so if, if it hadn't been 10 minutes, their light turned red, you know, meant it turned sure. green if you could have some. That fucking light the first two nights was nothing but red. But I remember 
at no point did I ever feel euphoric. Like, I mean, yeah. I had pancreatitis, and it, that is by far more pain than I have experienced in my life before, since, you name it. Like, it's the worst. And I have a very high tolerance for pain, and this shit knocked my dick in the dirt. So I was, like, hurting. Um, but I never felt euphoric, and every doctor said I talked about that, and they were like, because there's this whole fucking epidemic right now with fentanyl and everything. Yeah. I mean, Donnie Baker just fucking died because of it. And I'm pretty sure he got it in Des Moines. Um, because yeah. another guy I know died. I'm pretty sure it was probably the same exact fucking batch. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, the point is, when I said something about that, they said that's because you were getting the right dosage. You, mm. The use was, it was getting used for what it was intended for. Right. So I think that's what happened with Oxycontin. They never took the time to find the right dosage. They just fucking saw the money. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um. And so how do you, I mean, I, I'm not of the belief that all comics went through some trauma necessarily. I, I think all humans have gone through some trauma. Yeah. I don't think, I'm not that guy that's like, you know, misery loves company, that whole you gotta be fucking secretly miserable, sad clown thing. I don't yeah. I, I don't I don't subscribe to that because I've never considered myself the sad clown. Right. I mean, I've always considered myself in tune. I feel like I think I feel like you've always been a guy that's always just been pretty in tune with how you're feeling in the moment. Yeah. 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 I've never really radiated with that and uh, that energy. And um, the things definitely changed after my parents passed. But I, yeah, I never associated with like, uh, it was always talking about the darkness and not really thriving in it. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, it was fake it till you make it. Yeah. Because, I mean, at least if you're talking about it, it's getting released. Yeah, and that was the thing I, that I've been talking to my therapist a lot about is this idea of how I was publicly processing everything in the past and how different it is now to be kind of privately processing things and um, the dopamine attached to that, the energy attached to that, the healing that's attached to that. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to go from publicly processing to privately how much time do you spend waiting for the shoe to drop do you oh, struggle God. with that <laughs> i've ne never heard of that bill i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> every fucking day uh, every fucking day it's coming yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny. I'll I kind of I'll, I'll close out with you guys with this little full circle thing about my father yeah. and and um and my path. Um so my father was trying to find a way out of his hometown, right? He's trying to find a way out of the factory life. He's trying to get out. And he couldn't do it. And he died at a pretty young age. He was 47 and just couldn't like again 
couldn't get on the right path, couldn't clean up, couldn't figure it out. And then I come along and I get out of that town and I don't work in the factory and I do this for a living. And last year I got to do um, the Irish comedy tour. And so we're doing a bunch of big theaters. It's 16 different stops. Um, we're talking New York, Boston, Wisconsin, Florida. Like we're all over the place. It's great. I'm closing out the shows. We're in Minnesota and we're in this little factory town. It's legit just a big factory, a couple small like mom and pop stores and a theater. And I'm playing the theater. And I had this, this revelation, this full circle moment, this breakdown in my hotel room. I'm in this really nice swanky hotel room. I'm playing the theater down the street and I can see the factory outside my window. And I'm just crying because I'm thinking about how different my life is from my father's and how he tried so hard to get out of that town and couldn't figure it out. And I somehow figured it out. And thinking back now and wishing that he was still with me and wishing that I could show him, help him anything to make his life better, to take some of that stress and, and pain away from him and, and, and bring him with me on this. And that's something I'll never be able to do. And it was just a full circle moment of, his life versus my life and how much has changed and that drive i i have my father's drive you know what i mean i had the same goals i had the same sure. heart yeah. i had the same yeah. ideas i gotta <clears throat> get the fuck out of here and you didn't get re derailed yeah yeah and how lucky i was to be to not get any bitches pregnant <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> not do any of that stuff to not make the same mistakes that my father made because yeah. i think oftentimes especially when you have a not great relationship with your parents, be it mother or father. A lot of the times you look in the mirror and you can't help but see them. Right. And a lot of the times, a lot of my self-love and self-talk is associated with you are not your father. Yeah. And it, it was one of those moments where it's like, man. I'm definitely not. Yeah. 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 Well, and even, you know, just on the surface, you know, you think about a story like that and you're thinking like, well, what do you mean? He could have fucking moved and got a job in another town, but he would have just went to another town and to another factory. Like he probably, right. like you were lucky enough to find this definable talent. Yeah. That, that you knew you had and you, and you had the balls. And I think seeing his unhappiness is what gave you the balls. Cause I, I feel like that's the same thing that, I basically, my stepdad worked in a factory, worked nights my whole life, and he was fucking miserable. Every fucking day, miserable. Not, he didn't treat us bad, but he just was not in a good mood. He was always tired. He was just in this shitty fucking sweatshop. Yeah. And I knew that he hated going there every day. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I've told myself right away in my adult life, like, I will not. I will not get up miserable like that every fucking day. I am not going to have fuck be the first word out of my mouth every morning when I wake up. Yeah. Like, it's just not yeah. going to happen. 
Yeah. And I think, I, you know, I, I think for you, it was that same thing. It's just like, dude, so you, you know, if you can, you were blessed. What happened? What happened in a way blessed you? Like, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to change my mindset. This is my new thing is, and this is, uh, it's just hard to fucking even wrap my mind around is this if changing the narrative of things aren't happening to you. They're happening for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, or because of you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But we talked about this on, on, on secondhand therapy a few episodes ago, my, my buddy Lou and I were talking about it and he's had a lot of death and grief in his life Mm -hmm. and he's processed a lot of it. And, and he, we, I brought up this idea of like, things aren't happening to you. They're happening for you. And he was like, so you think that your mother dying for an example, that didn't happen to you. That happened for you. Right. And I said, I have to, I have to believe that because without my mother's death, without the loss of Wayne and my mother back to back, I wouldn't be having these bigger ideas of what I want for myself. The message that I want coming out, this, killing versus connecting any of these i'd still just be doing high energy fucking character work and whatever for years and i never would have progressed in a lot of ways it would have never met anything right it would have eventually not met anything right right yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't find the the uh, the actual purpose in a way i i find a lot of purpose in helping other people heal and connect and all that that feels so good to me because that feeling of grief and death is so isolating mm. and you you feel so alone especially in the moments when it first happens you can't wrap your head around that time is still happening that people are still going to work and there's concerts and there's you know you're like my mom just died what do you mean you're going to go see fucking how Cold dare Man, right? you <laughs> have a good time my uh, yeah. mom's dead exactly I, uh... you get stuck in that so though thank god that i get to help people in some way feel less of that isolation i think i think that you that that's the narrative that i think people can take every every situation that happens in your life is is metaphorically a fork in the road you can choose to 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 deal with it this way or that way it definitely is what you said it happened for you i've said millions of times when i've talked about my journey uh, of cancer people will say, man, that, that must have really been hard. That must have really sucked. That must have been terrible. And I will turn it around a lot of times and say, that was probably the best year of my life because I found out how strong I was. I found out what I was capable of. I found out how touched I was by all the people that supported me and how many lives I touched and how many people put their faith in me. I, it was kind of hard to, to disappoint those people. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a whole perspective it's shift. It's a whole perspective shift, and yeah, uh, you know, we started off this podcast talking about my family and my family dynamic, and I can tell you, I love my family, but I can tell you, that is not the narrative in my family. The narrative is always to look at the negative and to focus wow. on the negative. It always has been, <laughs> and 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 I, you have to break that cycle. That's exactly, exactly. But my family and my buddy, my best friend and I joke all the time when we ever we call people from back home, it's commisery. 
that's yes. never you can never you know when he calls back home talks to his mom it's never like hey mom how are you i'm great it's always hey mom how are you well the dishwasher's acting up and the dog it, yes it's this the, it's this right. negative and doesn't matter who i talk to back home friends family whatever yeah. it's that that's how we that's how we operate it's it's commisery and you have to break that cycle amen well and that makes me think of two things one the happening to you versus happening for you especially when it comes to a death <clears throat> it's so easy for me like like i remember somebody saying i'm sorry for your loss you know like mm-hmm. i'm sorry that happened to you and i go no it happened to them they're dead they died <laughs> right right didn't happen to me whatever yeah. ripple effect that happens i might learn something from it or whatever or feel something but yeah they're the ones that's, that's dead nothing happened to me yeah. um and the other thing is something that we talked about on here that i was talking to my therapist about yesterday is expectations being the enemy of peace i mm. you know it's it's something that i said one day and right when i said it i was like oh my god it was I was at a music festival helping out a friend at their booth and it's a fucking music festival. There's hippies everywhere. You're relying on all these fucking hippies and then half of them are on nitrous and fucking, I mean, and he's, well, I wish this and this. And I was go, dude, this is a music. You have got to just roll with the punches here. Like, right. Expectate your, your, your peace of mind is going to be gone this whole weekend. Like I'm here to have a good time, dude. Don't expect shit. Just and I've I've found that always worked. You know, I always went by that without yeah. knowing it for mm-hmm. so long. Like that's what I discovered with comedy shows, going to these fucking one nighters in small towns. As soon as I stopped expecting anything, mm-hmm. the shows became better. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I'm struggling with too. I deal a lot with that about expectations versus reality. And that's where a lot of my either anger or disappointment lies and once you it's hard to let go but once you learn how to let go of that your life does get better well because it feels everything feels like fucking injustice otherwise yes yeah Yeah. it feels unjust as if you got betrayed yeah no i fucking expected some shit i shouldn't have expected i wouldn't feel this betrayal otherwise yeah right i we and 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 bill will close it out with that but i i we had conversations about it what you said as far as it, it brought that expectations was exactly what the first thing that I talked to my therapist about when I started going was I need to learn that not everybody does things the exact same Um, way that I think they should do it. mm -hmm. And when they don't and they don't meet that expectation, uh, I get angry or disappointed or I feel slighted or whatever else. And I need to learn to manage those and and realize that not everybody is the same as me. So Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a process. And I think a lot of men go through it. Yeah. Michael, uh, where can people find you uh, online? Where can they they find some of your your materials and things like that? Um, so everything can... is at Malone Comedy, so you can go to malonecomedy.com or you can follow along with me on Instagram or Facebook at Malone Comedy. Um, and like I said, I have a new uh, series that's launching next month called Stand Up Sit Down, and that'll all be on Malone Comedy. And my two specials, uh, Laugh After Death and Wait and See are both up on uh, Amazon or you can watch them on YouTube and my book is on YouTube is, or on Amazon as well and it's called Dead Serious. Great. All right. Bill, you got anything to close out? Uh, no, I'm just going to think about fucking death apparently for the rest <laughs> of the <day>. Perfect. 
then I've done my job. All right, there we go. Michael, I love you, brother. Thank I you so much you. for coming Thank on. You. Yeah, Michael, this was uh, this was really nice. Uh, I, I really appreciate it, and I'm glad we connected, and I hope we stay in touch. So, yes, great meeting uh, you, Chris. Thank you very much. All right, everybody, uh, check out the rest of uh, our podcasts on the network of Three Beards Media. Uh, we have uh, all kinds of crazy content going, good stuff going. And uh, with that, we are going to say good night.